The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. The apostles returned to Jesus. They told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and they said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The Gospel of our Lord. So there was an ethics professor at Princeton University. This story has a lot to do with what we're going to, so just work with me. So he had about 30 students in this seminary class, in this ethics class at seminary. He asked for about half the class. He asked, I need 15 volunteers that will work on this project. The other 15 will have another project, but you don't know what it's about. Just who's up for this project? Fair enough. 15 people. They raised their hands. He said, all right, you 15 people, I want you to meet me in the library. Um, and he gave them the time. When they got in the library, it was around 5 o'clock or so, he divided those 15 students into three groups of five. He asked them to sit down and wait. He looked at his watch, and he just waited. About 15 minutes later, at 5.15, he distributed to that first group of five envelopes, five envelopes, one to each. And inside that envelope, there was a letter. He told the students to open the envelope and follow the instructions. That's all he said. The letter, when they opened it up, it had in large, bold print, immediately proceed across the campus to Stewart Hall. You have 15 minutes. If you arrive even one second late, your final grade will be lowered a whole mark. Oh, with that, the students all got up, grabbed their backpacks, and they were out the door 
Quickly they moved. The professor sat down. Ten more students there, two groups of five, and he watches his watch. Five minutes later, 5.20, he handed out five envelopes to the next five students, one each. Same instructions. Open the envelope, follow the instructions. They open up their envelope. There's in big, bold print, proceed to Stewart Hall. You have 45 minutes to get there. If you arrive even one second late, your final grade will be lowered a whole mark. They grabbed their backpacks, made their way out the door. Professor sat down, looked at his watch. Five minutes later, 5.25 p.m., the third group was given their envelopes, one envelope per person. Said, open the letter, open your letters, follow the instructions carefully. Fair enough. They opened up the letters in big, bold print, just like the others. It said, proceed to Stewart Hall. You have three hours to get there. If you arrive one second late, your final grade will be deducted by a whole mark. The students weren't aware of it. The professor had arranged for three drama students to be in place between the library and Stewart Hall. Close to the beginning of their exit out of this library, there was one drama steward. About another third, about middle place, there'd be another one, and then toward the end, there was another one. The first one um, held his hands on his head and was kind of moaning aloud as if his head was really, really hurting. The second student... um, was, like I said, in the middle. The second student was laying down in front of a building as if they were passed out, unconscious, kind of in an awkward pose, almost like they had fallen. The third student was actually near the steps of, of the steward hall and was acting as if they were having some sort of a seizure. Well, in the first group of students, the one that had 15 minutes to get across campus from the library to steward hall, of those five students... Not one student stopped to help one of those three people. Of the second batch of students that had 45 minutes to get from the library to Stewart Hall, of the five, two stopped to help one of those three people. Of the ones that had three hours to get from the library to Stewart Hall, of those five and those three hours, Every one of them, at least to one of those three people, stopped to offer assistance. Time for the next class came. The professor reviewed this event to the whole class. And his lesson was to show the seminarians. And I think his lesson has been showing people, Christians, who remember his example for generations now that hurry is hindering compassion that when you're in a hurry and you're rushing about focused on what you have before you you're blind and deaf to the needs and the opportunities around you now the disciples coming into this lesson they have been out on their own Jesus sent them we remember that last week Jesus sent them out And they didn't have to be creative 
Jesus sent him out to show, the, tell the good news, to heal the sick, bind up the broken home. He, he sent him out to do his ministry. And for about a year and a half, they've been traveling with Jesus to see this. Wherever Jesus went, he proclaimed the good news. He said, that God's salvation is hands. God's righteousness is here. Forgiveness was being proclaimed. Even if it caused a fight, they said, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And he would say, what's is easier? Tell this sick person to be healed or to say your sins are forgiven. And he did both. They watched that. They watched countless events of Jesus just being the love and the forgiveness of God in this world. They watched how he healed. They watched how he approached even the ones that you weren't supposed to approach. They did that for a year and a half, and now they're sent. And they were empowered by Jesus to do the same thing. And they did. And probably out there, they probably met some rejection because clearly Jesus was rejected by a lot of folks. They had their agendas, their wants, their needs, and they just didn't have time for God. Fair enough. But no doubt there were people that that embraced their message of hope. They embraced their opportunities to be healed. The disciples were putting their hands and anointing oils on people and they were being healed like never before in history. Prophets maybe have done that, but to have the apostles of prophets, not so much. Twelve guys are out there in pairs doing this. Telling the demons to be quiet and leave. And now that they've been doing this for a while, the fame of Jesus has spread to the point that even Herod heard about it. We remembered that last week. That the news of Jesus and all that his disciples are doing is is going across the land in such a way that Herod hears about it and he's wondering, is this John resurrected? What is going on? It's out of control. Well now, after a time of being out there doing the ministry of of, of Jesus and making an impact for God in this world, that world, now they're coming back to Jesus. And they're telling him all that has happened. Say, Lord, we actually said this in your name, and look what happened. They were like shocked. It worked. You know? And and they would teach, and they said, actually, Lord, some people heard it, and they had hope. And some people were, were saying no to their sinful lives and were coming over to your way of right. They were, they were just delighted and excited. And no doubt, as they were coming back and excited, Jesus had to be excited as well. As he's listening to these folks, he's like, woohoo, right? What I've been giving them is now being multiplied. It's actually, they're not, I mean, if it's conducting electricity, they're not a break in the line. They're actually letting it flow through. The love of God that went through Jesus is now into them, is now touching the world. And he's like saying, yes! The good news is getting out there. So he had to be enthusiastic about their return and all this good news as well. Thousands of people have been touched. Now, ten thousands are being touched. Jesus was one person. Now he's got pairs of batches of guys out there making an impact. It was, like I said, out of control. It was all good, the world around him. Now, so many people that are, are around the disciples and following the disciples and now looking for the one that the disciples are talking about is Jesus. Because everything they do is because of Jesus' name. And in his name, they're doing these things. They don't have the bread. They're just telling the one who has the bread type of a deal. So all these people are following. And now they're coming back. It had to have been a chaotic place. They said about like 5,000 men. What about the women? So you double that. Now you got 10,000. And then if you add another number to that, and another 5,000 of kids, you got about 15,000 people, potentially. And in a dusty, not-too-civilized place, that's a lot of people. Just in the, in the chaos, in the movement. You know, you're not in a stadium where you can see row and row and row, and it's all organized. It's just on flatlands and hillsides, 15,000 people, potentially. And in their place, with all of this stuff swirling, their success, their stories, and the people crowding and all the movement... Jesus sees something where he notices something. And Jesus sometimes, he does that a lot. He sees things that we don't see and he hears things that we don't hear and he notices. 
Jesus notices something. And so he tells the disciples, he says, guys, come away with me. We're going to a deserted place. We're going to go by ourselves and you're going to rest. Now, is it possible that in all the excitement and all the fatigue and all the busyness and all the continued possibilities of mission and ministry that the disciples were on the edge of being distracted from the single most important thing they had? Is it there possible that they were so busy doing the work that they were distancing themselves from being with God? You know, I've seen caregivers in my life. I've seen caregivers so busy with all the reporting and all the monitoring and moving from room to room and all the have-tos that they have in their care-providing care jobs that they forget about the patient as just being a human that's scared and suffering. I've seen Christians so into the demands of their jobs and the business of their life that they can look over and pass and not even notice the needs of some sad, broken-hearted people in the offices right next to them. I've seen mature Christians in everyday life, mature Christians so frustrated that they have to drive behind a slow driver because they're losing precious seconds of their day because this driver's so slow, when they finally get the chance to rip through them and just look over to see who this irritating little slow driver is, that when they look over, they see a little teenager that's trying to learn how to drive with a parent sitting next to them. Or maybe a really older person who's just trying to get home safely, and this is their best speed. I've seen leaders at church camps, the camp leaders, the, the camp counselor types, so busy with the agendas of the day that they even will ignore talking to certain campers assigned to them because they know if they start talking to that camper, that camper is going to want to talk and talk and talk and talk and they don't have time for that talk. The schedule's blinding them and they don't see that there's a little person begging for someone to listen I've seen parents so focused on starting a vacation trip on time that they've overlooked the reality that the beautiful vacation starts as you're preparing and as you're packing, as you're getting ready for the event. I confess, and it's a confession, I've inwardly been impatient taking phone calls and phone interruptions even if I knew they were hurting people because I had a Bible study that I had to prepare for or a sermon to prepare for. That I've been too busy and so in a hurry to do the pastor's work that I didn't pray as I ought to read God's word as I was called or to seek the Lord's guidance in every aspect of my steps in that day. Over the years, it's in the church too, over the years, I've seen church councils in every place church councils and church council leaders tasked by God and by the church to lead and to do the work of the church and make those decisions and have those conversations. I've seen them so preoccupied with their night's agenda that they'll rush past God's leadership and compassion for them that would be found if they just prayed more and invested into the Bible studies more. 
I think we all, in some way, each week, each day, are in such a hurry, are so focused on our wants, our needs, our agendas, whether they're for great kingdom motives or maybe for not so good motives, that we fail to accept the Lord's invitation to rest in Him, to remember Him, to know Him more. Today's gospel lesson, Jesus could be teaching us about a corrective way of life. In the middle of a beautiful and successful and exciting time of kingdom success, right there happening before him, Jesus says to his friends, he says, time out. Come away with me to a deserted place. Let's rest for a while. The Christian way of life, the Christian way of life, is a life with time dedicated to be with Jesus. The Christian way of life includes investing time into places that are conducive to being with Jesus. Conducive to reflection, to God planning, to God priorities, to repentance, confession, thanksgiving with Jesus. A disciple's life includes time to learn, to be sure, a time to teach, to be sure, a time to invite, to give, to serve, and to do all that kingdom work. Absolutely, our lives as disciples include all of those things. Our disciples' life also includes time to be in a boat, a nave, your place in the search to worship, to pray, and if only for a little while, to rest in Jesus. In the gospel lesson, after an unprescribed period of time for rest, the boat gets to the shore and Jesus steps off the boat. Did you hear or remember now what was waiting for him when he stepped off the boat? I'll answer it. There was a crowd. A great crowd was there waiting for him. Their needs, their wants, their demands, their hopes, right away, never left. They're always there right for him. As soon as he steps off the boat, he steps right into the middle of that opportunity. And then we read powerful words. As he's coming off this boat, this time of rest with his friends, he says, Jesus, or they say about Jesus, Jesus had compassion for them. After a time of rest in the boat with Jesus... Both Jesus and the disciples are ready now for an opportunity before them. They could give, again, what they have first received. The disciples, with Jesus, they could give peace. The disciples could have peace because they were in the boat with Jesus, remembering peace. They could give life because they had been close to the author of life. And they could give love. They could give healing. He could be compassionate. In this boat story, beautiful. The, yeah, maybe you didn't know this, but 
And another little aside, we get the word navy, nave, naval vessels, the idea of nave off of boats. And in this boat, we are in. A lot of churches, you have pitched roofs like this and you have all the chairs like this, flip the, the building over and it'd be like the shape of a boat. This, we are the people that gathered in the boat. And in this boat, we rest. And in this boat, we get from our Lord what we need so that we can give it right back later. This is our boat with the Lord to rest, to renew, and to recharge for what we get to do. Now, in this season that we call game time for this church, to be sure, as we said earlier, we go to work for the Lord. We are to make the Lord known in every way possible, in every place possible. We are to basically feed the, five th- or feed the thousands around us. In every game time, though, there's times to huddle and to rest. So I ask in this, between now and the end of the summer as we continue this game, make a commitment to rest in your Lord. Leave the 15-minute rush from the library to Stuart Hall group. Leave that rushing 15-minute group. Join the three-hour group. Take the lower grade if necessary, but take the time to notice, to lift up, to hug, to ask if you can help. You can do that by helping your family first, your friends second, your church friends, even your pastor in prayer, encouraging words. Let us be that church. Let us be a church that commits to joining our Lord in quiet peace to rest in Him every week. Nothing in the world is more important than our time to get back in this boat, this place, hear His Word, receive His sacraments, and be powered up because if we don't receive it, we cannot give it. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give away Jesus unless you first received Jesus. So get in the boat every week. Bring your friends into rest too. In this place, we will hear his voice and his word or receive his very self in the sacraments and participate in the Holy Spirit's presence. And then having done that, know that the boat's going to land and we've got to get off the boat. Re-enter this world. Enter the starving lives of the friends and community around us. And all those lives that are broken and twisted and sour and sore and, and addicted and all the stuff that's going on, enter their lives and tell them where hope and healing and truth is. There's a big need there that can be met after we meet here. Here we know Jesus. And we remember the beauty of that. Out there, on the other side of those windows, we make him known. God, help us be that church. Amen.